0: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. our own defenders and goalies round number two hello and welcome to blue notes your hockey podcast network home for your reigning defending undisputed champions of the world and will be for a little while longer the st. Louis blues I'm your host Tom Franklin joined as always by the man called wags wags how's your week been uh, tiring very very tiring
1: but, uh, but still pretty good. I mean, just living life like I normally would for the most part. Uh, I'm an introvert, so
0: this quarantine
1: hasn't really been affecting me too
0: much. You know, it, it, it's not been that bad for me either, you know. And, and in fact, if anything, it's made me feel better for being an introvert because, you know, you I was always the kind of guy that got ridiculed for like, well, why don't you go outside on Friday nights? Why don't you go party? And it's like, I'm not that guy. I'm just, no, never been. And now no one else is doing it. So finally, justice for introverts. Yes, we are perfectly suited. (laughs) Yes. Uh, By the way, this is episode number 54, and there is no one of real note that has worn 54 for the Blues. There have been two guys that had a cup of coffee. So instead, this is going to be the Barkley Plager and Bob Plager episode of Blue Notes number five and number four. And there's a reason for that. That is because we have managed to pit the Plager brothers against one another in round number two of a bracket of our own. That's going to be one of our matchups today on the defensive region. We're also going to do the goaltending region today as well, round number two for that. We'll recap how uh, round one went for the uh, after-hole forwards. A lot of interesting matchups, and the voting kind of reflected that. So we'll uh, we'll run down the results of those here in just a little bit as well. And, of course, it is a pandemic Blue Notes, which means that I have to mention the word Scott Prunovich in an episode of a uh, Blue Notes pandemic episode. And it's for good reason this time, Wags. He won the Hobie Baker Award. How about that? That is amazing news. Uh, I,
1: when I saw that on Twitter last night, uh, the first person I thought of besides Scott Prunovich was you because, you know, you've been tooting your horn for this guy for the last couple of weeks, especially. Um, and the Blues were able to finally get him signed to a contract kind of. Uh, I don't think he's actually signed it. But yeah, for him winning the the Hobie Baker Award, we were mentioning earlier uh, before we started uh, recording this, one of just now nine defensemen to win the Hobie Baker. So that's incredibly impressive. I I am psyched. I cannot wait. I can't wait for hockey to come back, but I can't wait for hockey to come back and Perunovic being a part of the Blues organization.
0: Yeah, definitely for sure. It's a big honor. Now, not every Hobie Baker Award has... This is not necessarily an indication that a player is going to go on to sur- superstardom because you know, for every Paul Korea that has won this award, you have a uh, Scott Fusco. You know that has won. Do you know who Scott Fusco is? <laughs> I, I don't. don't know, but all all I can think of when I hear that Fusco is is Fungo in baseball. That, that's my, <laughs> my connection. <laughs> so yeah, so, some of the past award winners. I mean, there have been some very notable stars that have won the Hobie Baker Award. Paul Korea, I just mentioned, was one of them. The very first one was Neil Broughton, who was a very good player for the Dallas Stars for many years. Um, You know, really kind of uh, passed the torch a little bit to uh, Mike Medano. Uh, You had former Canuck, Brendan Morrison, former Ranger and Sabre, Chris Drury, current Calgary flame, Johnny Goudreau, current Buffalo Sabre, Jack Eichel, and another defenseman, uh, Cole McCarr of the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Some very good names in there. And, Technically, Perunovic becomes the sixth St. Louis Blue that has won this award, or at least a Blue that has, uh, you know, maybe wasn't drafted by the Blues, but played for the Blues in his career. Uh, the first one was Tony Hercus in the 80s. They thought he was going to be a big deal. He just became Tony Herkus. Um, Scott Pellerin, former Blue, uh, you know, he signed with the Blues in his career, had a cup of coffee here. Uh, he won the Hobie Baker Award. Uh, who can forget Peter Sena I can, I can. I totally. See, I loved him. I thought he was, he was one of my guys. I, I had high hopes for him and then it just, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, and so, but he was a Hobie Baker award winner. Uh, of course, the goalie who shall not be named, uh, was a Hobie <laughs> Baker award winner. Okay. I'll say it. It's Ryan Miller. Um, he was, he was one and former blue Jordan Leopold uh, was a Hobie Baker award winner. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, history that this award has. I think lately it's, it seems more likely that if you win the Hobie Baker award, you, you will become a good star. I mean, as I mentioned, Goudreau won it in 2014. Eichel won it in 2015. Jimmy Vesey won it in 2016. He's a left winger for the uh, New York Rangers. He's very serviceable for him. Will Butcher, a defender. He's a, uh, one of, uh, the uh, brightest young spots on the uh, New York uh, New Jersey Devils, I should say. He looks like he's going to be a good defender. Uh, Adam Gaudet, center, and of course Cole McCarr. So hopefully, Wags, we're not talking about Scott Prunovich in the same way we talk about a Peter Sena.
1: Yeah, I don't think we will. I mean, you just look at what he's done in his college career. You know, leading his uh, conference in points as a defenseman. Uh, he's just gotten better year over year. Uh, I saw him at. Uh, uh, rookie training camp a couple of well it was two years ago the year before they won the cup and he was one of the guys that just absolutely stood out to me Uh, and then just kind of watching his highlights from that point forward just his ability to move the puck uh, is is incredible and we talk about him being a smaller defenseman one of the smaller ones you you're gonna see Um, just the fact that he's able to put out the points that he has been but also play a very good defensive game I think this is one of those moves that is going to be a bright spot for the Blues. And yeah, I think it's going to continue the recent tradition of maybe not superstardom yet, but possibly superstardom in the future for this Hobie Baker winner.
0: Well, and we're looking at, you. Know, if you're thinking about comparisons for Perunovic, I mean, Kale McCarr is a good one because McCarr is only 5'11, 185. You know, that's, that's you know, just a couple inches taller and just about 10 pounds bigger than Perunovic. And of course, you know, one thing that we know, Wags, is that you can always put on weight. You know, I mean, like, you know, you you put Prunovich on a, you know, weight and conditioning program, you can get him up to a 180 or 185. So I'm not too worried about that.
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about that either. And, you know, right now, I think every one of us is putting on weight being stuck at home quarantine. That's so. true. <laughs> That's we, true. We're,
0: seeing, we're seeing firsthand how easy it is to put on weights. Yeah, you know, they, they say it used to be, what was it, the freshman 15? You know, I, yes. think, it's, I think it's a quarantine 15 now. Yes, it is. Which, has a, which, which actually has a ring to it now that I say it out loud. The quarantine 15. Copyright it. Copyright it the teen teen. There we go. Um, but there you go. Anyways, congratulations to Scott Prunovich and, uh, and just a nice feather in his cap on a very nice career. And I hope that he, we see more of him in the future and hopefully we see more hockey in general, uh, in the near future. Uh, I don't know. I, I, there's been, there was a report last week that the uh, NHL was looking at, you know, sites in North Dakota and like, you know, places like that. And, I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea to roll the dice on that. The, you know, I mean, we let's let's make sure that we flatten the curve first, right?
1: Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, the NHL doesn't seem to be one of those leagues that wants to lead as far as making a decision like this. You know, the yeah. NBA has been the one that's kind of, you know, taken the reins and started the process of this is how we're testing, this is how we're suspending the season, blah, blah, blah. So it seems like the NBA's really taken a hold of this. And I think the NHL's waiting and looking what the NBA is going to do. Yeah. being, being the only two, you know, in season sports, uh, major league baseball different story. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I just, I'm not, I don't as much as I want hockey, I don't want it to come back watered down. I don't want it to come back. Um, you know, just in, in a form that does, doesn't look like hockey, uh, and it has in the past. So I, I would be a little bit of afraid
0: and I don't want to get players sick you know, that's, that's a- that, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, you get a bunch of, pl- I mean, sure. You can keep them all sequestered in their own hotel rooms, but they still have to, you know, I mean, if you're playing in a smaller rink, the locker room is going to be small, you know, so they're going to be in a tight space together. Of course, they're going to be out there on the ice. They're going to be out there on the bench. I mean, you know, it's, it just, I don't know, to me, the logistics don't quite make sense for it, but yeah. uh, you can't, um,
1: you can't stay six feet away in hockey.
0: No, you can't. Now baseball, you, you, possibly could I can see I mean they've been talking about Arizona for baseball NBA you really can't that's you know you're praying you're playing pre- a tight uh, compact game and football forget it which by the way speaking of which um rest in peace to the uh St. Louis Battlehawks
1: condolences my friend
0: it's I was oh man it, this is a hockey podcast so I'm not going to belabor it too much but uh, the Battlehawks you know were an organic feel-good you know kind of a you know Cinderella Rudy type of a story, you know, of a of a city just taking ownership of a team and I I went to one game. I had season tickets, but I can only go to the 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 home opener and it was the most positive organic experience. Everyone was optimistic about the team, which was different seeing as I've, you know, had Ram see- Rams season tickets for a long time and you know, Rams fans can get pretty morose, including <laughs> myself. Um, but no, it was, it was very positive. They played, they, they beat the crap out of whoever it was. They played, I forget who they, I think it was the new, I think it was New York. They played and they did. They just beat the crap out of them. They had the, uh, end around kickoff return that won the XFL play of the year. I think, um, so many good things came out of it. Jordan Tamu. I mean, he, you know, he's now Kansas city chief, which that's a smart move by the chiefs, by the way, picking him up just to maybe he might've brought some St. Louis fans with him. Um, but it just, it's just so sad to think that like on March 21st, we were on the verge of, you know, putting 60,000 plus in the dome and then this damn virus, you know, starts doing its thing and April 10th, the league's dead. Yeah. It, it's it's crazy. tragic. It, it, uh-huh. it is beyond tragic. And I think of all the, you know, people that helped make the XFL happen. Now they're out of a job. You know, they laid everyone off Friday. Uh, so hopefully it makes a return down the road. I, I guess they're keeping a skeleton crew of front office people together, but I think the bottom line, and I say that with some irony because it's WWE I'm talking about here, um, <laughs> but Vince McMahon, uh, I guess when when WWE stock was at $90, Vince could afford to take a couple hits on the XFL, but now that it's down to, I think, like $35, and they just had to miss a big WrestleMania. I mean, they still did it, but it wasn't in front of the... 60, 70,000 people at Tampa's Raymond James Stadium, he's hurting right now. And so uh, something had to give, and unfortunately, the XFL had to give. It was just it's sad.
1: It is sad. Uh, I, I tuned in for the first home game. Uh, that was actually the first XFL game I watched in its entirety, but it was because I was excited at the same way, just excited to see how St. Louis was going to react. We all know what the Blues you know, fans did with the parade and, and the celebration of that. And then hearing all the talk leading up to it, I was like, okay, this could be pretty good. But then when this, when I got to see it live on TV and just see it, the city of St. Louis just kind of rise up behind this team, it made me think this is something that could be kind of special. And it's just unfortunate that it's not going to happen. The players even, I mean, they were so community driven. That's the other part that made it so great is they were just like the Blues or just like the Cardinals. They were community driven and they got out there and embraced it and that's as an athlete for me that's priority number one yes you can win you can do all these things but if you're embracing the community and really taking an active part in it that's just gonna that's gonna win you points in my book every day of the week
0: yeah definitely and and you know you talk about the fans too i mean i I was the weird one at work that like got on the ba- BattleHawks bandwagon like from the jump. You know, I was I believed in this team. You know, because I, I I wanted to be part of something. You know, from the from the start. You know, and I can say that I was there at the beginning. You know, and I when when season tickets became available, like the minute that they came available, I went and secured two primo you know, $20 seats, you know, they were right behind the goalpost, but they were section 127, row double A, seat one and two. So I got the aisle seat. You got the perfect view behind the goalpost. Um, I, you know, really enjoyed getting to know some of the fans that I got to sit with. And now that's gone. It just kind of, it's kind of sad. So uh, hopefully it comes back. Hopefully this Battle Hawks jersey that's right behind me here, you know, doesn't become, you know, like the old XFL football from 2001 that people still have. for the novelty factor i have one so i can't really not not keep for that (laughs) um or like you know stone cold steve austin i remember he i I think he still has a las vegas outlaws jersey wow you know so uh i do wonder if the xfl is going to have like a clearance sale i will watch out for that yeah but anyway scouring (laughs) yeah definitely definitely always use work shirt you know so we have Another word from our co-founder, Isha
2: Jerome. This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's. Below the belt grooming, offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me, and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane! If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will Thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below-the-belt grooming.
0: A bracket of our own. We have just wrapped up round number one of voting. Uh, Our last region was we saved the best for last, I think. It was the after Hall forwards, uh, forwards that came to the Blues uh, on or after March 7th of 1988. That's when Brett Hall uh, became a St. Louis Blue. And uh, we thought last week, Wags, that this had the potential for some upsets and a lot of close voting. And it delivered. It certainly did,
1: yeah. Uh, I think the one that really shocked me was the Backus O'Reilly matchup. I yeah. was surprised at how that one shook out.
0: Not only yeah not only was that one you know it went to O'Reilly, but it went to O'Reilly handily I yeah, mean seven percent yeah so I, I think I think we we might have a you know vcu valparaiso you know dunk coast you know Cinderella on our hands here with Ryan O'Reilly I'm Curious to see how he does next round, but why don't you go ahead and run down that uh, region for us? Yeah,
1: so we had uh, the first, obviously, the biggest matchup: Brett Hall over Wayne Gretzky, a one sixteen matchup. Hall took it a hundred percent to zero, and we used we based that off of his tenure in St. Louis. So don't get us wrong in thinking that Brett Hall is better than Wayne Gretzky. No, as a personality, probably a little bit better than Gretzky, but as a player, no. it Just the the tenure in, in a blue note uniform was what won it. So Hall hundred percent over Wayne Gretzky. Uh, he's going to take on his old lime mate. Uh, Adam Oates, who took down Brendan Shanahan, sixty to forty. So that is going to be a fun matchup.
0: And and that one we and Oates and Shanahan, we knew would be a close yeah. one. And uh, I think people, uh, I, I think they saw what we saw, and that was Oates made Hall what he was. Shanahan was a good player, but. He it, it, he didn't have that connection to whole like Oates did.
1: Oh yeah, not at all, and it's what made him expendable for for the trade for Chris Pronger. So well, and that, that and also stealing
0: Janny's wife. That that yeah. that
1: probably had a little bit to do
0: with it as it, well. I think that actually was the main reason because <laughs> it was it was it was a locker room issue basically. <laughs>
1: And they thought Shanahan leaving for instead of Jan- –
0: huh, you know, it is what but, it is. But, but but, but you know, you, you couldn't get Chris Pronger for Craig Janney. That's so. very true.
1: That's yeah, very true. I so can't blame him move. for that. I can't either. Uh, we have the aforementioned Ryan O'Reilly over David Backus, 87-13. He's going to take on Pavel Dimitra, who took down Scott Young, 91% to 9. So that's another mm. huge matchup. I, I mean, it's it's what have you done for me lately, lately versus a guy that is very, very fondly remembered for what he did with the blues, even not, during the harder parts of the seasons.
0: And not only that, you, you get the sentimental thing going with Demetra. I mean, you know, rest in peace. Uh, so that's, oh God, that's going to be a good one. I can't wait till we get to it. That's going to be, we're going to be going over these next week. So I can't wait for it. Then yep. you've got uh, Keith Kachuk took down TJ Oshi seventy
1: three twenty seven. That was a little bit uh, wider gap near the end than I yeah, thought.
0: Yeah, it, it was close for a while though. I mean, I don't think Oshi ever led, but he was close for a while. And then Kachuk kind of, uh, moved away uh, towards the end of that voting, but Oshi had his fans. He had yeah, his he supporters did. here. Uh, people, people still love him here. So you know, um, I, I seventy three twenty seven. That that's, that that seems about right. But it was closer for for a lot of that.
1: It certainly was. He uh, Keith, Keith Kachuk will take on another former teammate of him. Him uh, Doug Wait. He took down Jaden Schwartz sixty to forty. That was a very very close matchup. One we thought was going to be close as well. But a Kachuk waite matchup is going to certainly be interesting next week.
0: Yeah, it was really hard to separate Waite and Schwartz because, you know, when you look at them and you compare the two, they're pretty similar. Uh, you know, they both had leadership abilities. Both, you know, were combo forwards, although uh, Waite was a more of a playmaker, I think. Um, but, yeah, just that that was and that one went about the way I thought it would. And now you're going to have, you know, the two guys that really carried the blues in the uh, 2000s, you know, Kachuk and Waite. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one.
1: Yeah, and in our final matchup, uh, one, one of the ones that we thought was going to be highly contested, and it very much was, lots of comments, lots of votes on it, was the Alex Steen-Pierre-Turgeon matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turgeon, the 10 seed, ends up taking this 69-31 to over Steen. It was very close, back and forth for a while there. Yep, uh, That was a very, very highly contested matchup, but Turgeon is going to move on to the second round, and I think that was the right move. That's who we ended up picking.
0: Yeah, and, and and shout out to Art Lippo on Twitter for uh giving uh, us the uh, the rub a little bit by noting that turjan might be the most un- uh un- underrated and un- underappreciated uh Blues player of all time. He's got an argument for that because people forget how good turjan was. Uh it's just that his time with the Blues was kind of short, you know, compared to compared to others. And he also had a little issue staying on the ice as well. See. He seemed to he, I think he was a guy another one of those guys that had concussion issues. Um, but yeah, great player. And, uh, yeah, you know, Alex Steen also, I I knew that was going to be a tough matchup for Turgeon because Steen also has his supporters. I mean, he's been a part of this organization for so long, so long. It's been a long time. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he has his supporters too, but, uh, yeah, I think the right guy won and he'll be taking on, uh, And, uh, uh, I think that might be when the Cinderella run of Pierre Turgeon comes to an end.
1: It probably will, although I think that one will be closer than we think. I think, Uh, you know, Terjean never won a cup. Tarasenko did. Tarasenko a better pure goal scorer. Uh, But I think you could you could make an argument for Terjean. And we'll try
0: and discuss that and and try and make that argument (laughs) next
1: week when we go over this.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, and then. All right. So we're going to move on now to the second round of the defenseman and the uh, goaltending bracket. We'll start off with the defenseman here. And that was our first bracket that we did in round one. So go ahead and lay out the matchups for us. All right. Well, this one was pretty, uh, pretty much chalk. We had
1: one upset, uh, but we have uh, Chris Pronger, the one seed taking on Jay Bo the nine seed. Uh, we talked about earlier in the show about uh, the Plager brothers matching up Barkley, the five seed going up against Bob, the four seed. So going to be very, very fun to talk about that one. Uh, the three eleven matchup pitch, Alex Petrangelo against one of the underrated defensemen in Blues history, Rob Ramage. he took down Barrett Jackman in the first round. Uh, and then the last matchup is one that is going to be very, very tough for me because I think of Colton Pareco as the next coming of Al Yeah. And now they're going to have to face off each other against each other in the second round.
0: You're not the only one that I've talked to about this bracket that thinks this might be tough, you know, just because of the similarities between the two. My dad's also like a gigantic Pareco fan and uh when i when i told him about this matchup he said that he he actually picked Pareko, you know so that's there's at least one vote for Pareko that's coming on mom you know when we do when we do these uh, polls so um all right so matchups here uh pronger versus bomester uh Bo Meester was the 9 seed he t- he beat jeff brown and pretty handily you know in uh 94 to 6% but he's going up against chris pronger and as, as as good of a soldier as Jay Bo Meester has been, I, I don't think there's really a comparison between the two.
1: It's it's so hard because Pronger meant so much to this team. Uh, you know, he, he was the physicality. He did have the ability to score goals. Uh, he was just a, a threat out on the ice. People were afraid to go out there and face off against Chris Pronger. I mean they were literally terrified he even had a heart attack on the ice and came in, and still came back and play boemester had a heart attack off the ice and obviously hasn't been able to come back not trying to compare those two kinds of things but you know pronger was just a beast and he's a hall of famer and you know i think boemester is going to be a hall of famer as well maybe uh, it, you know he doesn't have the numbers, but the, the dude's a triple uh, triple crown winner as far as the you know Stanley Cup gold medal and the Olympics gold medal in the World Championships. I mean, Bo Meester has a very underrated resume, and he's also a guy that uh, hasn't had a whole lot of injury history, and that might be something that goes for him as well because Boemester's been there through thick and thin. Um, he's not an offensive fra- threat, but he's mentored Colton Pareco. He has made Pareko the defender he is today and i think he's done that with a couple guys he did that with alex petrangelo as well so i think i'm gonna try and make an
0: argument for jay bomeister here well bomeister is interesting you know if, if, if we're talking about his hall of fame credentials you're gonna to have to, i think it's mostly gonna be weighed what he did before he came to st louis because he was much more of an offensive player before he came to st louis and then as as time went on he kind of became more of a defensive defenseman during his time here in st louis um I don't think he's got the Hall of Fame credentials, just, I mean, he, he's in the Hall of Very Good, I think, you know, he was a very solid defender, as you said, healthy, he was an Iron Man type uh, throughout his entire career up until the uh, uh, cardiac episode that he had this year. Um, he, he, he's a very good defender, I don't put him in the Hall of Fame, though, I just, I, he's, he's not quite there for me. Um, now, one thing to consider if you're gonna try to make an argument for Jay uh for Jay Bomeester, um, is that uh they both I mean, he's been a blue for eight years. Chris Pronger was a blue for nine years. So there, there, there there's a comparison you can you can make there. And I and I think uh let's see here. He uh Pronger played 598 games for the blues and bowmeester played four ninety. Uh he did have some uh issues getting into the lineup uh in recent years. And I just I I, I appreciate what you're trying to do with Jay Bo Meester here, trying to build him up a little bit. But Chris Pronger, I mean, all I gotta do is point to the Hart trophy, point to the Norris trophy, point to the Hall of Fame. Uh and a lot of the reason he's he is in the Hall of Fame is because of what he did in St. Louis. Uh he played, you know, basically half of his career in St. Louis and we probably got his best years. Uh I I would argue that we got his best years. So I'm I, I I'm going Pronger on this one. I I just can't make an argument for Jabo bo here.
1: Oh, I'm going Chris Pronger too. Don't get me wrong. I was trying I'm just trying to build up something for Bo Meester because he does have some good qualities and some good points. But you know, just I mean just look at the point totals. I mean, three hundred and fifty-six points in five hundred and ninety-eight games for pronger, whereas, you know, Jabo bo 124 in 490 for the Blues, So even if he got those hundred extra games, he probably still wouldn't come close to touching the point total that Chris Pronger put up here in St. Louis. And you're right. We got the best years of Chris Pronger. I mean, when he went to Edmonton, yes, he led them to a Stanley cup final. When he went to a- Anaheim, yes, he led them to a Stanley cup final and a victory. He, he did have some good years after, but he did have his best years in St. Louis. I mean, 62 points the year he won the heart and the Norris and was an all-star. That's it's just incredible. He, was the heart and soul of that blues team, especially post Brett Hall. I mean, he, he and McInnis, they were the reason, one of the reasons why people gravitated to the blues during that timeframe, because it was like two sides of the yin and yang and they just fit together. So perfectly. And pronger was that physical gritty, hardworking blue collar St. Louis part of that defensive pairing. Bo Meester, not so much. Like I said, he's built up Pareco. He built up Petrangelo. He's a great mentor and probably could be a good you know, coach at some point in his career, you know, in his lifetime, but he's never, he never really made the impact that Chris Pronger made on the blues and the city of St. Louis. We love J Bo, no question, but Chris Pronger by far much better.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Our next matchup, I think is one that we could, uh, uh, this this one's going to be tough to separate here. This reminds me of the Jock Plante and Glenn Hall matchup at the first round with the goaltenders because it was a question of how do you really separate these two? And with this one here, again, how do you really separate these two? It's number five, Barkley Plager versus number four, Bob Plager, his brother. Uh, Barkley didn't exactly win in a big romp over Paul Cavallini in the first round. He won 82-18. to 18 people did remember paul you know you forget how good paul Cavallini was some people didn't so uh he got a lot of votes um plager over gasoff you know that was a pretty much a, a walkover uh even though gasoff uh had all the makings of being higher ranked in this uh bracket if he had uh, um you know tragedy had not struck him but uh barkley plager um he played right alongside his brother bob Uh, until uh, 76-77, Plager played until 77-78. They're almost even in games played uh, with the Blues. Uh, Barkley played 614 games. Bob played 616 games. Uh, I mean, those, I mean, and they're a very similar type of defenseman. Uh, One key difference was that Barkley was a little more offensive-minded um, you know, he was he was a guy that would average about 20 to 25 assists per season. Uh Plager was there for one reason and it was not to dish the puck. It was to, you know, you know, be a you know, hard-hitting defensive defenseman. Although he did have 31 assists uh, in 72-73. Um but this to, to me wags, this is a matchup of who do you consider truly better between the Plagers in terms of talent? And how do you weigh that against Bob Plager's ambassadorship uh, for the St. Louis blues?
1: That, that's the hardest parks. I mean, if you look purely at statistics, it's Barkley by a landslide. He had more points. He, he actually even had more penalty minutes than Bob Plager. And we, when we think of Bob Plager, we think of June going to go to the box every time fighting in the stands, all that kind of stuff. But, Barkley had more penalty minutes. He averaged more penalty minutes in his first 6 years with the Blues than than Bob did. He had 153 penalty minutes in his first year in St. Louis. Did yeah. Barkley. So I mean that's absolutely incredible and like I said more points averaging, you know, 25 assists for most of his career in St. Louis. So if you're looking purely at statistics it's Barkley. But what Bob has done and still continues to do as a Blues ambassador, I mean that's that's something you just don't have very much anymore. And if Barkley were still alive, I'd have to say that I think he would be right there alongside Bob. And that's that's the hardest part for me is you can't you can't even compare you know the ambassadorship because Bob's here and Barkley isn't. So it's like you've ta- you've got one that's statistically better, one that's you know public face better. So you're basically taking that as a wash. So where do you where are you going to draw the line? What what makes the the choice for you? And for me, I think. Based on this, I, I still have to slightly lean to Bob.
0: That's fair. Uh, the only thing I, I'm going to go with Barkley here, only because I mean I think he was on ice the better player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even Bob himself has admitted that you know Barkley was 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 the better of the two. Um, and it and it's it, and for me the ambassadorship thing. I mean yes, it, I mean Bob has been tremendous, but. You know, if if Barkley were still around, he would have been right by there, with right right next to Bob. I I have no doubt that he would he you know he would be right there as well. And I, I have no doubt that you know it would have been a touching moment to see those two lift the cup together. Oh, yeah, uh, it it would have been so amazing. Uh, Barkley, I mean, if uh you, uh you know we lost Barkley um right before the um St Louis right before St Louis hosted the 1988 uh, NHL All Star Game. Uh, and I played back some KMOX, uh, you know, all-star gala uh, audio from, you know, leading up to it. And that was a big part of their production was talking about Barkley Plager and, you know, the impact that he had as an organ uh, to the organization. Um, you know, again, it, it's, it's hard to separate that impact from his brother, Bob. Um, but I, I, I think that just the slight. The fact that he was a little better on the ice. I, I I'm going with Barkley in this one, but I think this is one that's going to be tougher for our listeners to really kind of decipher because again, you're you have to you do have to weigh that on ice production as you know, better as Barkley was versus what Bob meant to the organization as a whole. Um, for me, it's Barkley, and it sounds like for you, it's Bob, and I'm curious to see how this is going to sort out.
1: I am too. I, I, I kind of want to leave it up to the fans to make this hard decision because I, I truly appreciate what Bob's done and what Barkley did. I mean, I, mean,
0: I mean, it's it's one of those things you can't really pick between the two. So we're going to let the fans do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I pray that they don't leave it 50-50 like the uh, <laughs> Ramage matchup was in the first round because we had to break that tie because we both picked Ramage. So... Please pick one or the other. <laughs> yes, please, please, yeah, please, uh, please. Otherwise, we might spend another half hour uh, next week, you know, trying to break the tie. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm Barkley. You're Bob. All Agreed. Right. Yeah. Uh, next match up here, speaking of Rob Ramage, uh, the number 11-seeded Rob Ramage will be taking on the number 3-seeded Alex Petrangelo. Uh, Ramage uh, squeaked by number 6, Barry Jackman, in the first round, 51-49. to 49. We say that because we were the tie-breaking vote uh, to break a 50-50 tie on that, and he takes on uh, Alex Petrangelo, who had a clean sweep of uh, number fourteen and number one in my hate list. Eric Brewer. <laughs> um, I know how can you hate robots so much, but I do. Um, so in, in this one here, um, I th- this I mean I I think I think this one's definitely Petrangelo's to lose. Uh, and I, and I, and I'm having a hard time making the case that Ramage will get a sudden influx of votes just simply because of the whole, what have you done for me lately? Kind of an idea. Um, you know, Ramage was a, was a very solid defenseman in the eighties. People forget how solid of a defenseman that he was in the eighties. And I think that's why he's going to lose this one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you look at it and you talk about, yeah, what have you done for me lately? But you know, Petrangelo has been a guy that has been a perennial Norris candidate and and at least in the conversation throughout his career here in St. Louis. I mean, fourth and eleven, twelve, fifth and thirteen, fourteen. And yeah, he slipped back a little bit to ninth and seventeen, eighteen and didn't really even get any mention in eighteen, nineteen. But he's a guy that people always talk about being in that Norris conversation as being one of the best defensemen in the league. And Ramage, you know, you just look not just as, as his career in St. Louis, but just as a career as a whole, as good of a defenseman as he was in the 80s, he never really got into the Norris conversation. No. And I think that's really what's going to kind of lift Petrangelo up for me. Is yes, he's a Cup winner, but he's also a guy that is a leader and a Norris candidate, and always thought of at least in his career so far as being a guy that's a top defender in the league. And when you get into the you know into that with the likes of who's there, that right there lifts it up for me. And then you look at statistics and, and Petrangelo's is good, you know, 450 points in his career with the, or yeah, 450 points in his career with the blues. Uh, yes. It's three more seasons than Ramage, but Ramage only had 296 in his career. So I think, like you said, this is Petrangelo's to lose. And I just don't think Ramage is going to come close.
0: Well, Petrangelo's played a little over 750 games in the NHL, 758 to be exact. And I think if we had completed the season, I think Petrangelo definitely gets Norris consideration based on how he was playing this year. I mean, he was just ripping goals in left and right. This was his career high in goals in 16 this year. Uh, but in 758 games in his NHL career, he has 450 points. Rob Ramage played over 1,000 and has 564 points. So I think, you know, you know, spread out evenly, I think Petrangelo outproduces Rob Ramage. Um, and then another thing to consider was that Ramage was a minus 45 in uh, his St. Louis career, which yes. again, it's not, the, not, it's not the end all be all, but it's an, it, it's an indicator that as good as Ramage was, he wasn't lifting the blues up the way that, you know, a great defenseman might, you know, during that period, he was just, he, he was a good defenseman. He was good enough to get a spread hall, uh, in a trade, but, um, he was he, he's kind of like, you know, he kind of belongs in the J Bo Meister section of the Hall of Very Good, you know, but he's not great. Uh, whereas I think uh, Petrangelo is, you know, looking like, you know, he might, you know, be in the Hall of Fame, you know, at the end of his career. Uh, I think he's still got a lot of years left on him. Hopefully they're all with the blues. And, uh, you know, he's he's everything you, you want in a modern defenseman. I yeah, mean, he really he certainly is. He really is. He he keeps his nose clean, too. I mean, he doesn't... I mean, he's, he's only, you know, about 20 to 30 penalty minutes a season. You know, whereas Ramage, you know, had no, no qualms whatsoever about going into the penalty box at all. I mean, we're talking about, you know, like, you know, 201 penalty minutes, 202, you know, just... A different type of player for sure. But uh, for me, I think this one's going to be Petrangelo. I, this is one matchup here I don't think will be particularly close.
1: No, I don't think so. Like you said, you know, he, Ramage squeaked by Jackman, and, and Jackman and Ramage were are kind of the same in the fact that they're both very physical defensemen. Uh, didn't put up a whole lot of points to Jackman, but uh, it, it was a close matchup. And I just think, yeah, Petrangelo by far, there's a reason he's a three seed. There's the reason he's a captain on this team. Uh, it, it's Petrangelo all the way for me.
0: Definitely, definitely. And then our final matchup of round two for the defenseman, it's a good one. It is going to be uh, number two, Al McGinnis, taking on the man that a lot of people say is his heir apparent in a lot of ways, number seven, Colton Pareko. Uh, both of these guys won in sweep, uh, almost sweeps in their first round matchups. McGinnis won over Sasha Havanoff, 100-0. to and then uh, Colton Pareco won 92-8 to eight over Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, a guy who that people thought someday might be better than Alex Bertrangelo. How foolish of us. Um, this is one, look, I, I'm going to admit inherent bias here, first of all. I have been an Al, McF- Al McInnes fan all my life. And after meeting him face to face, you know, and and knowing what he gave to the St. Louis Blues, I mean, it, kind of in the shadow of Chris Pronger a little bit, um, but I think he, I, I think he gets his just due as a great defender. I'm not there. There's there's no way you're gonna convince me, Wags, that I should go with Pareko over McInnes. I'm just gonna warn you that right now. But, but, I think there is a comparison to be made here, and I, I, I think. I think this would be a matchup maybe better for Pareco if it were held five or ten years later. Um, but you were kind of trying to make the case to me before we started recording WAGS of why you think uh, it might be Pareko.
1: Well, the main reason is because I think he's Al McInnes 2.0. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just you, you just first look at the, the first five years of McInnes' career and the trajectory that – you know Pareco is on mirrors what McKinnis did in Calgary. Um, you know, we're also basing this off of what they've done in a blue note as well. And McKinnis was great as a blue, you know, eight goals, 20, so 28 points in his first year. He was shortened to just 32 games, but then 61 points 43, 49, 62, 39, 54, 46, 68. So he put up a ton of points. Yep. Um, the, the big thing for me is when you know, when you have McKinnis out there. You know, he was in his age 31 year when he came here and he was here through age 40. So his, uh, I guess, contribution to the Blues was more offensively than it was defensively. And not to say that McKinnis oh, sure. was a bad defenseman. He won a Norris Trophy in 98-99 as a Blue. So, you know, he was regarded as probably one of the best defensemen out there. Sure. Uh, but if you look at Colton Barreco. He takes the best of Chris Pronger and he takes the best of Al McInnes and marries them together. He's not as physical as Chris Pronger is yet, but he's got the body and and the wherewithal to use it when he needs to. He's got a shot like McInnis, not as fast, so not as lethal, but he's still only five years into his career. His ability to get back on defense after being caught deep in the offensive zone is something that we haven't really seen from a guy that size almost ever really. Right. Uh, you know, that, that's the other part of it. And he's just, he just seems to be growing and consistently getting better and better and better every single year as a blue. I'm not, not to say that McKinnis wasn't getting better as a blue, but he was at the point where he was, where he was at. McKinnis yeah. was McKinnis when he was here as the blue, as a blue. So I, I think the argument that can be made is that Colton Barako is as good as McKinnis was in his first five years and only getting better and has attributes that McKinnis never had. Sure. Um, so that's, that's kind of where the argument lies. I mean, it's not yeah. a great argument. It's a little flimsy to be honest, but I just, I see Pareco on this high upward trajectory that because he has McKinnis mentoring him, he could be better than McKinnis. And I think you're right. Maybe in five or 10 years, we look back and go, wow, what were we thinking? Colton Pareko is way better than Al McKinnis. Wouldn't
0: that be something
1: that would be epic. Uh, I love Al McGinnis too. He was a big part of my childhood. He was a big part of my formative years as a Blues fan. I loved him. I wanted him to win a Stanley Cup as a Blue. Him among many others. I I think this is going to be razor thin.
0: Yeah, because it's a lot of people that are taking part in this won't remember Al McGinnis the way we do. Oh. Uh, whereas they'll think of Colton Perico right away and what he has done. You know, like really in the last couple of years, I mean he's been he's been very solid. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he he sometimes has his defensive lapses, but again, he's young. He's still he's still coming along. And I think this year he was molding himself into being a really good defenseman. But it, to me, his story is incomplete at this point. When you compare him to a guy like McGinnis, you know, 386 games uh, in five years with the Blues, McGinnis played in 613 and 10, you know, and, and the thing with McGinnis is, you know, McGinnis, I compare him almost more to like a Petrangelo, which that might be the matchup next round if it works out, because you look at, uh, when, you, when we're talking about Petrangelo and can he play well into his 30s, well, the Blues got McGinnis when he was 31, and his production was still incredible, you know, you know throughout his 30s. Um, now apply, you know, apply that to a Pareco. is a, is Pareco a guy that's going to age very well. I mean, he is, he's a big guy, six foot six, two and big guys typically, I mean, unless you're a Zdeno Chara, um, don't age the best. I mean, now Pareco, I will say this pareco has been very healthy throughout his career. I mean, he, he, the guy does not miss games. Uh, and he was probably, you know, on pace to, you know, being 74 this year, this would have been his career low, you know, when you're only playing 74, 75 games. Uh, that's pretty good, you know, for your first five years of his career. So um, I, I like Holton Pareko a lot. I think he is going to continue, as you said, I think he's going to develop very well. I think he does have a lot of the best elements of Pronger and McGinnis. He is kind of like that hybrid, um, you know, with the size and then, you know, the offensive threat. Um, it's just, the story's not done yet with him. Whereas McGinnis, it's done and it is in the greatest hits collection of your local library. Uh, so for me, it's McGinnis, And of course, not only that, I'm just biased.
2: in general, <laughs> well, I, and,
0: and I admit that. And the thing about McInnes is, is, you know, he,
1: he could have played well into his forties, if not for the iron injury. I yeah. mean, in his last full season, he played 80 games at age 39 and put up 68 points. So and was second in the North. It's not like he was on a downward trajectory, when he retired because he was forced to retire. The eye injury yeah. really kind of destroyed it. He probably could have played another year or two, at least at a high level. Definitely. And that's, that's crazy. The one thing for Pareco you talk about his health. I just remember that game. I think it was against Columbus when he went down and everybody thought he was done tore his ACL, bent his knee backwards, what have you. And he was back out on the ice at the ne- start of the next period. And we're just like, what kind of Gumby freak do we have here? And that was just the start because now we've seen what we've got. And I'm excited for Colton Pareco. I'm gonna agree with you though I'm gonna still go with McKinnis just because the body of work is there um, let's revisit this in five years yes. and and see if we have the same result but I, I think we're gonna take this here I still think it's gonna be kind of close but I think McKinnis will take it
0: and I think Pareco in those in that five to ten years is gonna end up becoming a fan favorite because you know he, he's also got he's also got a good personality to match I mean he was the guy that Craig Ruby was asked one time who which which blue would you allow to date your daughter? And like, in, in like a hair trigger response, Baruby said Pareko. Um, you know, and, 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 and I see where he's coming from because, uh, you know, I've had a chance to chat with Pareko in the locker room a couple of times. Gentlemen, absolute gentleman, nice guy, uh, doesn't get snarky with you or anything like that. He's just a very cool, cool guy. And, uh, and I guess the ladies find him handsome too, so that that helps as well.
1: Well, look what he did. I mean, he was the one who kind of took to Layla. Him and Steen, uh, yeah, were the guys that really kind of brought Layla into the fold and and really kind of bit, was the, were there for her for the most part through all of this. So just seeing that right there alone, yeah. like I keep I keep pushing my sister. I'm like, dude, you need to, you need to just like hit him up on on whatever social media page you got to get <laughs> get get us digits, man. Come on, totally. I mean, get on that. I mean, he's still single. I he think. is. Yeah. That kind of came off as I knew that too easily. Ooh, oh, let's yeah. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let,
0: let's uh, yeah, let's move on there. Um, okay, uh, Colton Pareco against McGinnis there. Yeah. Um, all right, that's gonna do it for the uh, defensemen. And uh, by the way, I'll make a note here before we get to the goaltenders that we're gonna do the polling a little different this week. Um, we're gonna do two a days, starting on Monday at noon. So what we'll do is we'll do one defenseman, one goalie matchup on Monday, and then another and another on Tuesday. And then after Thursday, it's going to be done. So uh, we, one thing I've kind of noticed is that people tend to vote more during the week. So, um, and not only that, but it'll give you two polls. It'll keep you entertained. So uh, look for those on the Blue Notes Pod Twitter account starting on Monday. Um, I'll figure out the matchups uh, after uh, we're done here. Uh, but yeah, one defenseman and one goaltender matchup starting on Monday and then through Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. All right, so goaltenders. Um, our first matchup with our goaltenders here. Let me get that pulled up here. Uh, we have number one in your hearts and in this bracket, Jordan Bennington taking on number eight, Glenn Hall. And Bennington had an easy sweep of Greg Millen. I don't think, you know, that was definitely not a surprise at all. Thanks for playing, Greg. Um, Glenn Hall took on Jock Plante um, in another one of those matchups, like I mentioned with the Plaggers. How do you truly separate those two? Uh, You guys did, to a tune of 55 to 45 in favor of Glenn Hall. So you went with the, you know, uh, more time of service with the Blues – uh, over Plant's short but really sweet, you know, contribution. Um, so we have, you know, but this is gonna be another this is a matchup I think that kind of plays into Jordan Bennington's hands a little bit here because he doesn't have a long ten year goalie he's going up against here in Glen Hall. Um, you know, Bennington, what can we say about him? That hasn't already been said. He's he's a cup winner. He was one of the biggest Cinderella stories in all of hockey, you know, in the last, you know, ever really um, he doesn't get nervous he doesn't look nervous don't ask him if he does look nervous because he'll just tell you no um, what more can be said about Bennington and Glenn Hall he had a long career mostly with Chicago um, but he did help the Blues to those uh, Stanley Cup finals and uh, he was a sturdy strong goaltender even as he was in his you know aging years he played well into his 40s Uh, with the Blues, uh, and was still solid, but for me, I just Bennington won the Cup and he has become a face of the franchise and Glenn Hall, I can't picture his face, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at Glenn Hall's picture right now and it's like, Oh, okay. That's Glenn Hall. That's okay. what he looks like. Okay, that's what he looks like. But you know, you just look at what Bennington's done. Uh, you know, he has more wins than Hall ever did with the Blues in a shorter amount, amount of time. That's amazing. Same, I know fifty four wins for for Bennington in his first eighty three games. I mean, that's that's just insane. Same yeah. save percentage. He's got a better goals against average. Like you said, he won the Stanley Cup. You know, you like what Glenn Hall did for the Blues. He really kind of helped them form an identity when he was here definitely a big part of what this team was doing but he shared with Jacques Plante I mean and, and Plante seemed to be when they were here together Plante seemed to be the better of the two um you know you look at what you know Hall did when he was here I mean 18 wins 19 wins 7 wins 13 wins so I mean he never really was truly a good goaltender as far as you know producing a ton of wins I mean his 68 69 year the the year he and uh plant split the Vezina he was 19 12 and 8 so I mean nothing that was just eye blaringly outstanding then you switch over to Jordan Bennington you're like man he was 24 5 and 1 last year won a Stanley <laughs> Cup a 189 goals against and a save percentage granted that's a vacuum that's one year he bounced back this year, but man, that was one hell of a season. And and Glenn Hall never really had that with the Blues, even though he had a great career. I, I still think you got to go Jordan Bennington here.
0: Yeah, I mean Jordan Bennington. I mean we we didn't even really touch up on his playoffs too much and how he performed there. I mean he had this un th- this ability that made you believe as a fan to bounce back from bad losses. I mean, the, the, you know, goaltenders, you know, they, 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 they tend to be mental creatures. they they're, they're very mental and they can go into slumps and losing streaks. I mean, you know, and some of the losses that Bennington Binning su- suffered, other goalies might've gone into a two, three or four game funk after that. Bennington is just a guy I have never seen before in a goalie where nothing bothers him. mm hmm Nothing. I mean, he's and, and and you know, people look at his you know personality and think he's kind of you know laissez faire. He's not. He's you know, he, this is a guy that is driven to succeed and and is driven to win. He he does play with a chip on his shoulder, like he's still trying to prove everyone wrong after all those years of bouncing around the AHL and going to Providence. Um, but at the same time, it's like I've never. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever seen him get angry. I mean, no. he, he just, he just, he is as cool. I mean, he is as frigid as the other side of the pillow in Nunavut. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he, he just amazing how he can take a, take a loss in stride and then come right back and, uh, you know, pitch a shutout. Well, you and, know? and a team is, is,
1: a team seems to take an identity of the goaltender. For, for most part. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you look at, you know, Martin Brodeur in New Jersey. I mean, they were never the, the sexy goal-scoring, blow-you-out kind of team. They were very, yeah. very rigid and very, you know, team-oriented.
0: They, they brought us a neutral zone trap in the mid-'90s, yeah.
1: Exactly, and you look at what Jordan Bennington, his cool, calm collectedness, and, and the, the, the point that really drove that home for me was after the hand-pass goal against San Jose. You know, you could say, you know, Craig Berube said, move on, what have you, but it really was, for me, Looking at Jordan Bennington and what he did in that next game. Yeah. What he did was what the team did. They did. They moved on. They didn't let that bother them at all. And they came out and they ended up winning the series. And Jordan Bennington is just a guy. He, what he did to Ben Bishop in that Dallas series when he whacked him on the pads, dude, this guy's a rookie. Yeah. You know, he's a rookie. And all of a sudden he, he, he got pissed about something and he <laughs> let them know about it. And yeah. it, this is a rookie doing this. So those those two moments to me were the moments where I was like, oh, wow, we may have something special here. We had you know, we've got Jake Allen, good goaltender. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But Jordan Bennington is something special. Yeah. And you don't see that come along very often.
0: And, and, and his personality, I think, is what this team was missing, you know, from a Jake Allen who was had a rep had was known as shaky, Jakey for mm-hmm. a very reason. Uh, you know, it, it just seemed like the team, you know, at times didn't have confidence in Allen. But then you have Binnington, you know, standing on his head at times. That gives teams confidence. Um, and, and it really fueled the Blues' turnaround. And uh, I think you're actually, I, I remember, didn't Binnington, like, chuck his stick at the uh, boards after the hand pass goal? Yes, he did. Out of, okay, that might have been the one time he truly got angry. So <laughs> I'll, I'll retract my original statement. But then, as you said, he came right back and he refused to let that moment drag the whole season down with it, you know, Um, just kind of like, you know, the other thing I remember from him, you know, besides his bounce back ability in that playoffs was, I'll never forget, you know, what he did game seven uh, against Boston in the first period, those saves that he made that, that, that was the game. Yeah, it really was. If Boston had gone two or three, nothing ahead in the first period, we'd be talking about how the Bruins won the championship and how, you know, the blues blew it again. But Jake, but, but Jordan Allen, you know, I mean, Jordan Bennington rather just, he took over that game and he took, he took it over when they needed him to. In fact, I actually have a blues Jersey with a, with the Stanley cup, uh, champions patch. And I made it into a Bennington because I wanted to look at that Jersey and I want to remember, you know, game seven, first period, you know, him making all those saves so no it's it's for, for this matchup here bennington versus all it's it's definitely bennington in fact it's i i really looking at the bracket from here on out i really find it hard to stop bennington at this point
1: yeah i think the one that that could would be grant fear if he gets that far but even fear doesn't have the, the blue Stanley cup in his back pocket. You know, I mean,
0: it, no. Bennington does Bennington has almost a Trump card and it's a pretty damn good Trump card. It, it really is. It really is. I mean, Liut was good. I don't think, I don't think fans are going to remember him as much. Cujo. I think he also suffers from being an early nineties guy. People forget how good he was. So yeah, well, it's, it this it might be Bennington's the lose here, at least until uh, the uh, final four here. Um, next matchup. Uh, will be at the aforementioned Curtis Joseph, number four seed, taking on number five, Brian Elliott. Uh, Cujo swept Manny Legacy 100 to 0 in the first round. Uh, Brian Elliott, uh, took care of number 12 seated Chris Mason 91 to 9. Um, this is a matchup I think could be closer than people expect. Um, because Brian Elliott was more recent, um, he did have the, uh, um, the, the the year with Halak, where they brought home, um, you know he had that 165 goals against. They brought home the Jennings Trophy together. Um, but Cujo, Cujo was, I mean, again, I'll admit a little bias here. He was the goalie during my formative years of enjoying hockey, and he was the man, you know, for the Blues in the early 90s until. Mike Keenan had to do what he did and ran him off because he's a, you know, whatever. Um, I, this one, but you, if you look at Cujo's numbers in the regular season for the Blues, uh, he played in 280 games, had a 304 goals against and a 907 save percentage, uh, whereas Elliott had a 201 goals against and a 925 save percentage. Uh, Cujo played in more games. You know, Elliot was more you know in that timeshare with Halak uh, for much of his time here. Um, so and it, and it's really hard to compare the eras because early 90s they were scoring a lot still, whereas when Elliot was playing, scoring was down just in general. Um, but to me, the one edge Cujo has was that, and it's not really fair to Elliot, but then again. That kind of describes Elliott's career. Uh, I, Cujo was the guy in the early 90s. Brian Elliott was never the guy. And they never had confidence in Elliott to either stay healthy enough to be the guy or be consistent enough to be the guy. Cujo was the guy. And in the playoffs, Cujo was amazing. You know, he was another one of those goalies that seemed to really—he was an okay regular season guy. And then he he stepped it up in the playoffs. So for me, it's Cujo, but it's close. What do you think?
1: Uh, I'm the same way. I mean, my bias is definitely the Cujo. I mean, I just, just growing up, I mean, the mask and everything was, I mean, come on, the show, the the fight was shovel day. Yeah. That's, that's like my very first, like real memory of the blues is just hearing Ken Wilson say, here comes shovel day and (laughs) Cujo just beats the crap out. I mean that like, that's what I remember. That's my my first Blues memory is the Curtis-Joseph fight. Yeah, I yes. miss Ken Wilson. Oh, I do too. I wish we could get him on here at some I point. Love, That'd be pretty I nice. Love,
0: I love John Kelly. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yes. but But Ken Wilson was, he was the man. Yep. Ken Wilson and
1: Jack Buck for me growing up, that was, that was, you know, those were my nights. we listening to those two guys, but yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, number wise, Elliot, definitely better numbers, but to really for Curtis Joseph to put up a, a roughly three goals against average in the era that we're talking about. That's pretty good. I, I yeah. mean, you're talking about a, a time frame where they're scoring at will for the most part and to have a guy that's basically allowing just about three goals a game. That's pretty darn good. And you've, at that point you had a young Brett Hall and Oates and guys that could score to match that. So you didn't need a guy that was going to go out there to steal games. You had a guy needed a guy that was going to go out there and keep you in them. And the fact that he was finished in third and fourth in the Vezina in 92, 93, 93, Bingo. 94. I mean, that just shows you right there how good of a goalie he was despite I mean, the year he finished third, he was 29, 28, and nine. So it's not like he had a huge win streak or anything like that. He was
0: about 500 when it came to his record, yet he sits there at third in the Vezina voting. But he faced, yeah, in, the, in that year that you mentioned, 92-93, he played 68 games. He faced the most shots over 2,202. Um, you know, let me do the math on that. So if you played 68 games, let's see, 2002 divided by 68, he was seeing about 33 shots a game. That's a lot. Uh, And that was the most in hockey that year. He also had the most saves in hockey with 2006, you know, uh, in in the entire season. Then the next year was even crazier. Um, In 93, 94, he played 71 games. He faced 2,382 shots in 71 games. And for about about the same ratio, about 33, 34 shots a game and then he saved 2169 of them so the guy was a workhorse and the league recognized that cuz he was fourth in the vesen in that following year his save percentage was still high his 911 save percentage was, was actually the best in the league in 92 93 so that gives you some perspective as to how uh the numbers are weighted back then um yeah for me you know i i, I think we've i think you've, you've talked me off of Elliot here and i think i think this one's kujo
1: yeah, I 100% agree. As much as I like Brian Elliott and what he did here, he never truly was going to be the guy here. Whereas Cujo was the guy and should have been the guy, it just it just didn't happen because of you know the aforementioned Keenan, which we hate, and that's our obligatory hate Keenan speech. Yeah. Uh, so you know you look at career totals, Curtis Joseph by far. I mean, you look what he what he's at and his status in Toronto, and and Toronto is a such a tough place to be a <laughs> a legend and yeah. Cujo's a legend in Toronto and he's a legend in St. Louis and, and, and there's a reason why Bennington brought back the Cujo mask for those you know clown jersey games this year is Curtis Joseph made an impact on this team and he makes an impact to guys that still play for this team so for me Cujo all the way I yeah. love him I love Brian Elliott but it's Cujo
0: It still hurts me when you mention that, you know, Cujo was a Toronto legend because it only makes me remember that Doug Gilmore is also a Toronto legend, uh, not a St. Louis Blues legend. Um, But, you know, what they say about guys and underage babysitters. Um, (laughs) Moving on before we uh, uh, libel ourselves here. um, Number three, Mike Liu takes on number six, Jake Allen. Uh, Liut uh, defeated Chris Osgood in the first round, 82 to 18, and then Jake Allen beat Roman Turek uh, in the first round, 75 to 25. This one for me is pretty easy. I don't think it's going to be as easy for others, just because you know Liut played in an era where a lot of Blues fans just simply won't remember him from. Um, but I think this, I think this one's Mike Liut's to lose. Uh, is, it was an incredible goalie for his era. Uh, I mean, he played six years for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he won the Pearson Award in 1980-81, um, and he was also a uh, first-team all-star. He was second in the heart voting this year. Uh, and and again, for perspective here, when I say in this particular year, Mike Liute had a 335 goals against average and an 894 save percentage, and he was second in the heart That goes to show you how much scoring was going on back in this era. This was the live puck era in, in like, its height. And Mike Leute was as good as they came in the entire league. Uh, The year before, his first year in St. Louis, he came over from the WHA. Uh, He was six in the hard voting. He had a three eighteen goals against and an 895 save percentage. Uh, And then he played a few years on in his career, was one of the best, most stable goalies in the league. And then Harry Ornis traded him away to uh, Hartford because basically he didn't want to pay him. Um, Blues had some financial issues uh, back then. Takes on Jake Allen, a guy that I think everyone listening has an opinion on one way or another. Um, A lot of it not good, Um, but some of it's good. I mean, he he did beat Roman Turek in the first round, so he can't be that bad. Um, (laughs) But uh, Jake Allen... You know, you look at his numbers. He's been better than I think a lot of people realize. You know, he's he's played in 289 games in seven years for the Blues, uh, 250 goals against, a 913 save percentage, very respectable. And he was definitely having a career renaissance in 2019-20 with a 215 goals against and a 927 save percentage in just 24 games, which I think kind of tells us you know, more about Jake Allen's mentality, Wags, and that, you know, I think Jake Allen struggled being the guy, but with the pressure off of him, I think he plays a lot better, Wags.
1: He certainly does. I mean, you look at when he's with a tandem with a guy that pushes him, uh, that's when he really excels, and you saw that with Jordan Bennington. Uh, You know, there's one stat that I'm looking at right now that really kind of shocks me uh, is, you know, his quality start percentage has – been kind of poor for the most part i mean you're looking at it league average is about a 53 percent uh he's been over that one two three four five of his seven years here in st louis that's that shows you right there he's also three wins away from passing liute as the all-time blues leader in wins uh in their history and he's done that in about 60 or so less gear about almost 100 less games in liute the the argument you can make for Liute is he was on a team that was just they were they were pretty bad yeah. for, for the most part so he didn't really have a whole lot of you know goal support and win support could you imagine if Liute was playing on a team like allen played how many wins he'd actually have i mean he'd probably be well over 200 at this point oh absolutely
0: absolutely no doubt about it and a lot of people would remember him you know and, and more fondly um you know yeah for me it's it's you know i i think jake I mean, again you look at jake allen And when you just hear the words Jake Allen, some people start to cringe. They start to get violent thoughts. You know, I have a friend of mine that just cannot stand the ground Jake Allen walks on, (laughs) you know. But he has that kind of effect on people. But he's been better than a lot of people think he is. I mean, he still made it as high as a sixth seed on this bracket, for instance, which might be more indicative of Blues goaltending in general over the past 50 years. Um, To me, he just does not match up to the I mean, Leut, you know, was a one of the reasons why the Blues weren't worse in the early early eighties. I mean, he, I mean, he he kept his teams in the game. You know, I will say that. I mean, he, you know, you look at his records with the Blues. I mean, in the year that he nearly won the heart, he had a thirty three and fourteen record. So that was a good year for them. Thirteen ties as well. Um and then you have records of 32 and 23, 28 and 28, 21 and 27, 25 and 29. That just gives you an idea of the kind of crap that Liut had to put up with in the early 80s blues, which was a tumultuous time. I don't even need to get into Saskatoon.
2: You know, oh yes, please when, don't.
0: Yeah, we're not going to go there. You know, with these, with those early 80s blues. Um but yeah, for me, I mean, Liut did a lot to keep this team going. And I think the eventual third round matchup with Grand Fear is going to be a good one, because yeah, you're talking about short term success versus long term, you know, warriordom. I guess, if for lack of a better word, um, I'm looking forward to that matchup. But I think for this one, it's Liut pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's not as not as cut and dried for me, but I think it is Liut. I mean. It- the, the one thing that pushes it over the top for me is the fact that he was in the consideration for the Hart Trophy in two years, especially his first two years in St. Louis. I mean, you don't have a whole lot of goaltenders that have consideration for being the best player in the league. I mean, it, it's very rare that a defenseman does it, it's even rarer that a goaltender does it. So the fact that he was up there, that right there, and, and you look at even further. In uh, 86, 87, it was Hartford. He was third in the heart as well. So not only – he was a part of the heart conversation in three different years in his career. That right there tells you how good he is. And Jake Allen never even had a sniff of the heart trophy. So <laughs> for me, yeah, it, it's Lioud as well. And, and I'm excited. I can't wait for a matchup between him and, and Grant Fuhrer uh, if we get – well, yeah, I can't wait for that matchup.
0: Yeah, it's probably going to happen. We'll just go ahead and get on to that next matchup to get it out of the way here. Uh, number two, Grand Fear will take on number seven, Yaroslav Halak. Uh, Grand Fear swept Rick Wamsley one hundred to zero in the first round. Halak had a tough matchup with number ten seeded Brent Johnson, and he ended up winning fifty eight to forty two. And I think I think you called that, Wags. You thought that one was going to be pretty close, and I think a lot of it was just because people, I guess, I mean th- there was a lot of Brent Johnson haters back then. And I think some of that hate has subsided over time.
1: Yeah, you um, compared him to, compare to Jake Allen. So, I mean, yeah. if if Brent Johnson gets some of the love
0: now, just imagine after Allen retires and give it about 10 years, Allen might be remembered as a pretty good goaltender. And so we we apply that now to Arsal Halak in this matchup here. And again, Halak was a guy that seemed to, you know, have, give fans some mylanta moments here just because, you know, he had the same problem that, you know, Brian Elliott had and that he never seemed comfortable being the guy, um, you know, during his time in St. Louis. I mean, he did get the majority of starts uh, during his four-year career in the Blue Note, you know, seemingly every year, at least every year that he was healthy, anyway. And he put up good numbers, but he never just there was something missing with him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And, and I think I think it was whatever whatever Binnington has that makes him so. Cool, calm, and collected. I always got kind of a Rain Man vibe from Yaroslav Halak. You know, kind of a quiet guy, but you know, never. I don't know. Just, 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 something wasn't there with him.
1: Not, not as, uh, not as off the deep end as Ilya Brz- Brzgalov was, but uh, definitely a little bit different. Uh, he, he definitely strikes me as a, as a number two. Uh, I mean, you, you, look what he's doing up in Boston behind Tuka Rask he's been phenomenal when he's been called upon. He's been yeah. a, a great backup. He's definitely a number two kind of goaltender. Um, and when he was paired here with Elliott, those two played off each other so well. I mean, obviously they won the Jennings Trophy together because they both had such great seasons. And Elliot had a better season than Halak did, but Halak did play more. So obviously his number's going to be a little bit more inflated. But Halak is another guy like an Allen where they need somebody really good to kind of pair off of them. Um, and it just never was really going to happen for Halak to be number one. He wanted to be a number one, but he couldn't handle being a number one. And I no. think that's where, what it came down to. And and the blues eventually decided, look, this isn't what we're going to want to do from here on out. They ended up shipping him out and you know, you kind of see where, where he's at
0: now. He lost the Stanley cup final to the blues. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will. We will leave it at that. And then for Grant Fior, I mean, you know, Grant Fuhr's time in St. Louis was short as well. He only played four years in St. Louis as well, and I think by the final year, he was pretty much a backup at that point. Or yeah, he was not definitely not the full time starter. But when you talk Grant Fuhr, you 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 have to talk about his '95-'96 year when he played 79 games, had a 287 goals against a 903 save percentage. Um, but he was six in the Vesna, six in the heart that year league recognized just what a Herculean effort that Fuhr did Fuhr put through um went through in 1995-96 you know you don't see goalies playing 79 games in uh-huh. a season ever I mean forget I mean forget forget nowadays that's never I mean and that was that that also was kind of endemic of you know Mike Keenan and his great roster management um but also, um, you know, just the fact is that he went through that, and, and he still was had a great season. And if it weren't for that Toronto forward who will not be named on this podcast, um, you know, destroying his knee, I mean, who knows where the Blues could have gone that year. I mean, I thought that was going to be the year because that was the year that we had the great one, you know. And then he had it and lost it. Um, And then, you know, but he still had some good years afterwards. And, you know, he's... He's one of my favorite guys, if for nothing else, knowing where he was in his life when he came to St. Louis, he was bouncing around from, you know, this was long time removed from his Edmonton glory years. He went to Toronto, went to Buffalo, went to the Kings, you know, was terrible with the Kings. And he the Blues basically picked him up off the scrap heap because they had just gotten rid of Cujo. And... He, you know, overcame cocaine issues, a lot of personal issues, and his story of his 95-96 season with the Blues, to me, is one of the best stories in all of hockey, you know, just because it was his redemption story. It was was his his redemption arc, and uh, he was able to have, you know, three, you know, three and a half, maybe, good years after that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, between Fuhrer and Halak, I mean, this one's going to be Fuhrer for sure. And I, I'm looking forward to that Fury-Liut matchup next round to see, you know, where people take that one.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's going to be one of the best matchups we're going to have is, is Liut and fear And the only problem is, is you know, it's it's both guys that are far removed from, you know, a lot of fans' perspectives. I mean, even Grant back, I mean, 96, 97, 98, that seems like an ancient history now. and, and For know, a lot add, of people. Yeah. Adley Liute in there back in the, in the 80s, you're like, what, there was an 80s? Um, yeah. you, you might get that response as well. But yeah, these these two guys are two of the best goaltenders in Blues history. I mean, we talk about what Curtis Joseph has meant for the Blues. We talk about what Jordan Biddington has done for the Blues. We talk about Hall and Plot and what they did. But if you're really looking at brass tacks and looking at numbers and, and how, what they meant to their teams, Liute and Fuhrer were both guys that really meant so much to those blues teams i mean without them they wouldn't have been where they were at uh like you said with liute they would have been a lot worse than they were with grant fear if they didn't have him that, that team never maybe not would never have made the playoffs they never would have sniffed trading for wayne gretzky if if grant fear yeah. wasn't here putting on the show that he was doing and, and lifting that team to where they're at if they don't have a goaltender doing what he's doing they do not bring in Wayne Gretzky as much as we'd like to think that would never have happened.
0: Definitely. Definitely. That's a good point there as well. So uh we'll see uh, how it shakes out here. And uh we have round two votings again, starting on Monday. We're doing two a days starting on Monday at noon central time, one defense and one goaltender matchup uh, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week on Twitter at blue notes pod. Make sure to tell your friends about this poll and uh, get them into it. And, and, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Wags, any final thoughts? No, I'm just excited to see how these matchups
1: play out. Uh, prove us wrong. And please help us with the Plager matchup. Please, please, please. Yes. We don't want to have to, we don't want to have to make a choice on that one.
0: Yeah. This, yeah. Cause, cause we're split ourselves. So, I mean, we're going to be in coin flipping territory on that one for sure. But you know what, if it, if it does come down to that, maybe it was just meant to be. Yep. Maybe it was just meant to be. Agreed. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, As always, thank you for listening, because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGs, there is no Blue Notes, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle.